Is it okay to just be okay? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. We are up to the Torah portion of Vayeshev, the Parsha that includes the sale of Yosef or Joseph down to Egypt, a sale that was potentially going to actually be his execution. His brothers had uh, determined they felt that he was a threat to the future of their family and to the destiny of Israel, and they rendered a decision to kill him. That was thwarted by Ruvain, the eldest of the brothers, who said rather than actively kill him, toss him into the pit, and then Judah, Yehuda, who says, no, 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 let's not leave him here to die. Let's sell him, which leads to his being sold down to Egypt. Immediately after this section, which concludes with Jacob's father being told that Joseph has been attacked and killed, and his father not being capable of being consoled, the next section describes Judah going to another territory where he marries, starts his family, but the going to that territory is described as going down to that territory of a Yerida of a lowering, not just geographically, but a lowering in stature, the way Rashi describes. Judah was demoted by his brethren. They, he left because it was such a frustration they had with him. Why did you tell us to sell him? Why did you not suggest that we bring him back to his father? When they see the great distress that they've caused Yaakov, their father, they challenged Judah, it's your fault. You see, we listened to you when you suggested selling him. We would have listened to you if you simply reversed all of our plans and sent Joseph back home. But wait a minute. They're getting so uptight against Judah. They're challenging Judah. They're demoting Judah. They're forcing him to go into some level of an exile. Well, none of them tried to reverse the plans. They were ready to kill Joseph. And even after they weren't actively killing him, they would have left him to die in that pit. Only Judah, only Yehuda, did such an act of preserving Yosef's life by saying, what do we gain by killing him? Let's sell him. So why blame Yehuda? He was the most correct, in a sense, of all of them. Okay, he stopped short of what could have provided a salvation for Yosef. But blame yourselves, don't blame Yehuda. And it seems that Yehuda didn't challenge back on this front. He didn't argue as we're arguing right now, like, hey, wait a minute, guys. I am the least guilty party here. It seems he accepted some level of blame. He left on his own. He left the brothers. He lowered himself. He, he recognized a reduced rank and a need for some level of a distance and this exile of sorts. Why didn't he challenge back the way we're arguing? Hey, I am the most distant from guilt over here, and yet you're blaming me? Unless, given that Judah, Yehuda, had leadership capacity, Yehuda is destined to be the father of the monarchy of Israel. Judah is blamed for settling for mediocrity. Yehuda has to be a leader and has to be excellent. And when he leads in a 
half-leadership manner, he is blamed for not being in a full leadership capacity. When he accomplishes half of what he could accomplish as a leader, he is blamed for not accomplishing 100% of what he could accomplish as a leader. The no room for mediocrity when one has the capacity for excellence and that it's not okay to just be okay if one has the capacity to be grand and significant and successful. You can't settle for just half-baked outcomes. The Talmud describes that the time of the destruction of the second temple, the second base of Mikdash, at the time of the Churban, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was the leader in the city of Yerushalayim, and he had himself snuck out of the city. Fascinating story there. He had to pretend that he had died, and he snuck out in a coffin so that they allow his body to leave the city to arrange a meeting with Vespasian, who was at that time governing Judah before he actually, in, during their encounter, is when he gets word that Yochanan and Zakkai prophetically announced that Vespasian would be the emperor of Rome, at which point he leaves and goes back to Rome, and his son Titus or Titus is the one who takes charge and tragically destroys the temple. But Yochanan and Zakkai, in his meeting with Vespasian, makes several requests, one of which, spare the city of Yavne and the sages who are in Yavne, the academy of Torah that is in Yavne, that becomes the seat of the high court of Israel. And he was successful. Vespasian granted this request. Rabbi Yochanan Mizakai was forever, forever pained over the fact that maybe, maybe, maybe I could have asked for Jerusalem. I asked for Yavna. I was scared to ask for more. Tafasta Marubov would ask for something too significant. Maybe he would simply reject all of my requests. I had to come up with something that would be meaningful, but not something that was defiant and going against the grain of what Vespasian was after over here and his goals, but he didn't know for sure. And he blames himself. He challenges himself. He's concerned. Maybe I could have asked for more. Well, wait a minute. Nobody else even asked for Yavna. Nobody else came up with the plan as to how to try to go and approach Vespasian. Nobody took the significant risk. He was really at risk for his life when he was leaving the city of Jerusalem. And nobody else. There were other wise people. There were other people claiming to be leaders and playing some role of leadership. You did so much, but he is concerned, maybe I could have done more. And we always have to aspire to 100% of what we can accomplish and not settle for 50 or even 80 or even 90 or 99% because missing the mark is a relative failure. This idea, the no room for mediocrity, I came across an article years back that was describing somebody, the thrill of being involved in a sport like ice climbing, rock climbing, oh, that, that's not as big a deal. Mountain climbing, that pales in significance and in the level of risk and challenge of ice climbing and climbing an icy cliff. The uh, person being interviewed described, there is no room for mediocrity. One misstep and you're doomed and the thrill and the challenge, the adventure. Rav Weinberg Zetzal, Rosh Hashiva of Blessed Memory, pointed out 
There is no word in Hebrew. There's no word in Yiddish. There's no word in Ladino in any classic Jewish language for adventure. Adventure is that which man creates to give himself a sense of vitality. And the more this has a risk of death, the greater the adventure. And even the and the great uh, combination of psychology and engineering that goes into roller coasters and thrill rides, the more it feels like you can't survive this type of an experience, the greater the element of adventure in this. Well, if we live lives that are based on the recognition that every moment can be used to achieve eternity, that every moment we're faced with opportunities of brightening someone's day with a smile, saying a good word, thanking God for our food, acknowledging God as the great creator and great designer of our world and being there for us. There's so many opportunities at every moment where we can exercise our capacity for greatness and achieve greatness. We shouldn't need to give ourselves a sense of vitality with some make-believe experiences or some artificially developed scenarios of risk that, oh, now each moment is meaningful. Now there's no room for mediocrity. There is never room for mediocrity. We should always be aspiring to accomplish as, as much as we are capable with the talents and the tools and the resources that God has gifted us with in each different scenario of life. The one who has a capacity for greatness in a certain realm has to try to achieve the ultimate of that greatness in that realm. And it would seem that we all have some areas of greatness and probably each of us have some really unique areas of greatness where we can really aspire for excellence. And we have throughout our lives many areas where we can be constantly seeking excellence. So is it okay to be just okay? Not in the broad sense of it. If we have the capacity to be beyond okay, we should be trying to get to that greater goal than just simply settling for, okay, kind of middle of the road, not too bad, not too good, not doing anything terribly wrong, not destroying anything, not damaging, not failing well not accomplishing what we can accomplish and achieving what we can achieve is a relative failure as well. Yehuda, it seems, recognized that the brothers had a claim against him for not exercising his leadership capacity to its max. In our own lives, as we face different situations, and we can play various roles, and whether it's literal leadership roles, in a communal setting, a project where we can be helping make a major change in the community, or whether it's simply in our day-to-day affairs of trying to be as capable and learn and, and find opportunities. It's interesting when they discuss what it means to battle mediocrity in the general secular world, they will talk about dedicating greater time and energy to greater learning, because the more we learn, the more we know, the more we can do. So to be developing greater awareness of what can be accomplished through greater learning, well, Judaism, we have an infinite amount 
that we can learn, and then myriads of opportunities to apply what we're learning in, toward our accomplishments. In so doing, with this attitude, trying to be beyond okay, trying to become people who don't settle for mediocrity and trying to be people who aspire for greatness, we will certainly be destined to be the type of people who are far more likely to achieve Eratopolis.